0: Let's have a prayer, and we will begin. Dear Father, we're grateful for this day. It's your gift. Uh, We know the day is from you. You are the one in whom we live and move and have our being. We thank you for the blessings you give, Father. We are grateful that the world is a little more conscious this time of year what you've done for us. We thank you for that. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. Grateful for your plan from the beginning. And we're just humbled uh, to be able to have this great opportunity of being your children. We thank you for that. Father, there are many among us that we know that we're thinking of that... uh, are having different difficulties, physical difficulties, sometimes emotional or spiritual. As we think of those people, you know their names. And we ask your blessings and their needs. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So good morning, it is December 11th. 2022 AD. The world is still counting time by Jesus. And let's begin in Romans chapter 1 with verse 1. Seems like a good place to begin a book with the first verse. So let's read from, uh, let's read about the first seven verses. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised. Beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. For the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's Paul's opening there. Um, he's, he's, uh, and you've heard this before, but he starts right off uh He's going to be giving his credentials, as it were, but he starts off and identifies himself as a servant of Jesus. And the word that we don't know, you've heard it mentioned many times, doulos, meaning bondservant, sort of like being a slave to. It means owned by or property of. So Paul is identifying himself there in the first verse as a bond servant of Jesus. Uh, James, the same things happen in James chapter 1, verse 1, as he writes and identifies himself. The same with Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, he identifies himself as a servant or bond servant of Jesus. So uh, they're they're making, that's starting a letter off in a really strong way, and we have real difficulty uh, relating to that, understanding that. 100 years ago in this nation, uh, that had been 1920, 100, 100 years ago, 120 years ago, people were alive who could relate to this terminology. They might have been slaves owned by others or certainly their parents very possibly were. But in today's culture, it's something we know about historically, but it's hard to relate. being owned, and property of. However, I would say it's something we should be thinking about and be being aware of. As uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, and he tells those folks that their bodies, uh, to honor the Lord with their bodies, and he goes on to say as he's talking about that, why? Because you are bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. So he's telling us, as he told them back in the day in Corinth, if you're a Christian, if you see yourself properly, if you are committed to the Lord, you are not your own. You are you are owned. You have been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus that puts you into that State of being a child of God, of being a Christian. Um, Tremendous price paid for us. And I don't know how often we think about ourselves as being owned and belonging to. I, I like what Gene Cosby says so often in our house church group, He says on on Sunday night, I'm thankful that I belong to God. Belong to, because we've been bought and paid for as Christians. Uh, Too many, this is a little bit of a judgmental statement perhaps, but uh, I think you might uh, understand that uh, what I'm saying when I say that in America Christianity seems to be a pretty casual thing and uh, people either say they belong to a church and maybe never go or they may check in every now and then Um, and it's good to have a religious habit certainly I have to uh, sometimes maybe wonder about our commitment it starts with myself certainly you look at what's going on in our country with just the outrageous crime that goes on and uh, you can see that people were either not taught about Jesus or certainly not taking him very seriously uh, as being owned by him so Anyway, that's how Paul starts off there, and he says that he is, uh, notice the next phrase there, called to be an apostle. So he's, he was picked by Jesus to be an apostle um, along with some other guys. You know, I was, I was looking uh, about the choosing of the apostles, disciples who, who were called uh, and established to be apostles Jesus was involved in all of those selections. Luke tells us in Luke 6 that Jesus spent the whole night in prayer before the next day, before he named the 12 apostles. He prayed about that. And of course, um, when Judas betrayed him and left the group and killed himself and... uh, the 11 remaining, they, uh, they were to fill the vacancy. And they couldn't decide between a couple of guys. And they said, Lord, we don't know which one to pick. And we're asking you to pick. And they cast lots and it fell on Matthias. So they asked the Lord's direction. So I take it from that that Jesus picked him as well. Uh, And then we come down to Saul, who became Paul, and Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus. And uh, then after Paul is blinded, and he goes uh, obeying his instructions. He's praying for three days, saying, Lord, what have I done? I didn't know it. I didn't understand. I didn't know. Please forgive me. Please, please, please. He's so upset he cannot eat or drink. He's praying, and Jesus appears to Ananias and says, Go, heal his sight and baptize him because I have chosen him to be my apostle to the Gentiles, to kings, and, and the Jews too. So Jesus was involved in choosing all the, uh, all the apostles. One, one side note here too as we look at this. Um, when Judas left, when he vacated his position... He was replaced, as we mentioned earlier, by Matthias. But uh, we only told of two, two apostles dying in the New Testament, Judas and James. Acts chapter 12, verse 2, Herod had James killed. When Judas left because of sin, he was replaced. When James was killed, he was not replaced. I make a deduction from that. If sin, in the case of sin, that spot was filled, but with James and the other 11, as they all died, maybe with the exception of John, as martyrs, none of them were replaced in their office. And John tells us in John 16, those guys were, we were given all truth. The Spirit guided them into all truth. So here's what I'm getting to. Their word, their teachings are still in place as apostles. What they said and did still holds true. They were given all truth. First, second Peter chapter uh, 1, verse 3 we were given, Peter says, all things that pertain to life and godliness. So their word is still God's word. They are still in place and authoritative as we read their words. Comments, questions? Um, As you know, as we all know, so much of the teaching that, that we were given Uh, There's a lot of uh, uproar and uh, controversy about all of that now, particularly with marriage. And I'll just say very briefly, uh, God hasn't changed any of his instructions about marriage. They were guided into all truth. They were given all things that pertain to life and godliness God has, God's teaching hasn't changed. What has changed is man's human nature hasn't changed. But man's reverence for God's word has changed. And so we find, that's where we find ourselves today. But their authority is still in place. So I'll go on here in verse 2, going back to this. Uh, well, the end of verse 1. Set apart for the gospel of God which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Paul is doing a couple of things here. Concerning, he says, concerning his son who was descended from David. He's doing a couple of things. He's linking Jesus to the prophets. He's connecting Jesus to the prophets. And he says in the Holy Scriptures, he's letting his audience know that he still reveres Jesus. The Torah, the Holy Scriptures, the prophets, what they said. Uh, That's important because Paul has been accused by the Jews in different places of teaching against the people, of teaching against the law, of teaching against the temple and against the customs. And he's letting them know at the front end of this letter I respect the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament as we call it. It's Holy Scripture. I respect it. And he's saying, I'm telling you that it speaks about Jesus. Um, Richard? There wasn't anything else. Yeah. That was it. Richard says there was nothing else. There was no apostolic writings at the time. Yeah, nothing else to read. And so... Paul's saying, I, I recognize that and I recognize it as from God, holy scriptures concerning his son who's descended from David, concerning his son, uh, the angel uh, called Jesus the son of God when he spoke to Mary and uh, said, that which is in you is from the Holy Spirit When Jesus was baptized, God, the Father, recognized Jesus as the Son. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. At his transfiguration, the Father again recognizes the Son. This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And then Paul says here, the Holy Spirit declares Jesus to be the Son of God in power. How? By his resurrection from the dead. So Jesus has several witnesses to his sonship. And, of course, Jesus tells the Jews in John five thirty nine, the scriptures, you think you have life in the scriptures. He said, but they, they speak of me, and you don't listen to me. Uh, Paul is asserting that the scriptures are speaking of Jesus. Um, The phrase there, uh, he is the one promised beforehand in verse 2 through the prophets. Uh, Isaiah, the Messiah will be born of a virgin. Micah chapter 5, the Messiah will come from Bethlehem. Daniel chapter 2, the kingdom will be established, as we know, during the days of the Romans. 2 Samuel chapter 7, the Messiah would come from the line of David. Paul appeals to that here. And then, of course, Jesus himself said, I am the one the scriptures speak of. So um, he's establishing some credibility at the front end of his letter. Of all the things that happened in Yeshua's life, this is the one that he was descended from David that has never been challenged. G, uh, Richard says that it's never been challenged that Jesus is in the line, the lineage of David. Um, and the Messiah was to come from the line of David I want you to notice in verse 4 again as I referenced that he was declared to be the son of God in power by the Holy Spirit by his resurrection Uh, Paul writes later in this same letter in chapter 8 that same spirit is the one the spirit that raise Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that will give life to our bodies and raise us from the dead. Same spirit. Spirit that raised Jesus is the spirit that will raise us. A whole lot of people, and if you've been in my classes before, you know what I'm about to say. A whole lot of people have, uh, I think erroneously, have the idea that in heaven will be spirits. Spirits. But that's not scriptural we will be changed we will be changed so Paul writes 1 Corinthians chapter 15 great chapter it's the chapter about our resurrection and he says our weak mortal body will be changed and raised immortal and in power 1 Corinthians 15:42 through 44 52 through 53 and like i mentioned Romans 8 and 11, that same spirit will raise our bodies as well. So um, the resurrection, this is the key key event in the gospel story. Jesus did many signs to show and prove that he was the Messiah. He fulfilled many prophecies to show that he was the Messiah. But Paul writes in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, unless he is raised from the dead none of it works none of it matters and you're still in your sins unless he's raised from the dead first Corinthians 15 chapter uh, 15 chapter verse 17 but in verse 20 he says but he is raised from the dead and that's what caused the stir that's what's at the seat of all the stir between the old ways and and the new way, as it was called, that was just had just been born. The people that followed Jesus were saying, but he is raised from the dead, he is the Messiah. Big problem with the Jews in, in several ways, but one of the problems was Jesus was not the kind of leader that they were expecting in the line of David. They were expecting a great military leader to throw off the Roman yoke and to give them a new kingdom. And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. This is not what God has in mind. It's not about military rule. It is a new kingdom, a new way to live. A kingdom based on love, not on military might. And it just... And the thing about it, those that believed in Jesus and said he is the Messiah... They were willing to go to their death because they saw him raised from the dead or their parents did. Josephus even writes about it. There's a writing in Josephus. I will i was going to skip over it, but let me just... This is in... Uh, Antiquities volume 2 book 18 chapter 3 Josephus lived he was born in the first century and he wrote around the turn of the century and later Um, he says when Pilate at the suggestion of principal men among us had condemned him to the cross those that loved him at first did not forsake him for he appeared to them alive again the third day as the divine prophets had foretold, these and 10,000 other wonderful things. So the record of Jesus from Scripture as well as from secular writings is that, okay, the world's counting time by this guy. So the disciples, the followers of Jesus... They were willing to die. All the apostles, as you know, they all left right at the moment of arrest and crucifixion. They were watching from afar what's going to happen. They were shocked that their leader was about to be killed. But after the third day, when he appeared to them numerous times, they said, okay, we will teach in his name and we will go to our grave teaching in his name because he is the author of life. It's changed Everything. And again, as you know, as I've said before, I'll say it briefly. It sort of distresses me at the Lord's table when we pray before we take communion. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. Help us to partake in a way pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. That's all good. It's all certainly true. But why do we leave out the resurrection? We are thankful that Jesus died for our sins and that he was raised from the dead, showing that our sins are forgiven. We are clean in him, through him, because of him, because of his resurrection, proving he is God and that his sacrifice is sufficient. We seem to not say much about the resurrection. I don't quite understand that. Jeff? So we should stone around our necks cross? No, well, if you want to, uh, we wear a lot of things around our necks, don't we? Show, Jeff, so should we raise a stone? The stone was rolled away. It'd be fine. People would say, why are you wearing that rock around your neck? And then you got a chance to teach. Not a bad idea. In Jewish perspective, Birth dates aren't important. Death dates are. In Jewish perspective, death dates are more important than birth dates, and I would suspect that resurrection dates would be more important than death dates. It's a death date. But the resurrection is a new birth date. It comes right along, with Jewish specialists. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. Uh, Let me see where we are. So he says in verse 4, as he closes verse 4, Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus being Savior, Christ being the Messiah, our Lord being our sovereign ruler. Jesus Christ our Lord. Watch this next passage, this next verse here. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. Very important to understand the, the connection here. The obedience of faith. This is a big subject. This is a, a two-week subject. I'm going to try to put it in about ten minutes. And the reason I want to touch this is because I think it's critical to us understanding Romans properly. No questions for ten minutes. Then you can have questions or statements. Clock starting now. It's 9.30. Synchronize your watches. Um, we are saved by faith. Amen. True. We are not saved by works. That, as we we will read in several passages, that was a problem the Jews had. They were appealing under the law of Moses to the wrong system that they were trying to achieve works, salvation by works. And Paul writes in Romans chapter 9, that didn't work. But that's another topic. We'll get to that later. Um, When we put our faith in Jesus, what does it mean? It doesn't mean that we put our belief in him. The demons believe and tremble, so their belief is sincere. I'm saying when we put our faith in Jesus, we're putting our trust in him, and that faith in the scripture always includes obedience. It always includes obedience. And we could look at at a thousand verses that say that. Today, we seem to want to separate faith and obedience. No. True faith is faithfulness to God, is obedient to God. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 15, 14. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will do the things I say. Obedience. Obedience was required from the beginning, from the garden. That was the problem. Not being faithful to God in the garden. Uh, It's sad to me that we have arrived at this situation to where Uh, many don't understand that faith includes obedience. It's part, obedience is part of faith. As a matter of fact, uh, if you'll turn in your phones to Luke 17 to prove a point here that obedience is not connected to merit. Obedience is not earning anything. Jesus talks about this in John 17, read with me verse Luke or John? I'm sorry Luke I'm sorry yeah you interrupted my 10 minutes there yeah sorry if i misquote a book you can Luke 17 verse 10 well let's just go back to verse 9 but we could keep going back several chapters but we'll just go back to verse 9 uh, does, uh, talking about the, uh, the master of the house and the servant, does the master thank the servant when he does what he commanded him to do? Does the master thank him? No, he's the master. So look at verse 10. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Let's, let's look at that again. When you have done all that you were commanded, so when we obey a command of God, we are not earning anything. We are not earning anything when we obey God's commands. He says, say we are unworthy. We're unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. It is our duty to obey God. He's God. He's great. He is the Almighty. When we obey him, we're not earning anything. We're doing what is our duty, what he said to do. So obeying is not connected with merit. It's not connected with merit. Um, Jesus says again in Matthew chapter 7, many will say unto me, Lord, Lord, that will not enter the kingdom of heaven because it's he who does the will, who obeys the Father, who enters the kingdom. Obedience is tied to faithfulness. Uh, Nothing about merit in that at all. Acts of faith are not separate from faith. Acts of obedience are not separate from faith. They're included in faith. Abraham saving faith when he offered Isaac. Abraham is called the father of the faithful. If we read in Genesis 22, verse 12, uh, let me start in 12. Uh, Abraham's about to offer Isaac. An angel stops him. Do not lay your hand on the boy, for now I know you fear God. How did he know he was faithful to God, fearing God? He was about to kill him as a sacrifice. Verse 16, from the angel, the Lord declares, "But because you have not withheld your son, I will bless you and multiply your offspring. And he says in 18, in your offspring, the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. What did Abraham earn? Did he earn that blessing? No, he obeyed. He couldn't earn earned God giving him the blessing of all the nations of the earth being blessed through his seed he did what was expected it's always that way in scripture always so if you turn to Hebrews 11 11 4 by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice Abel offered he was commanded to offer a sacrifice what does the Hebrew writer call it he calls it faith Noah, by faith Noah built the ark. Verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when called to move. Verse 17. By faith Abraham offered Isaac. Verse 28. By faith Moses kept the Passover. Obedience is an act of faith, it is not separate from faith. It, It did not earn anything. The scripture never, ever, ever, ever links obedience to merit. Never in Scripture. Now, today, many teach that obedience to God is an act of merit, of man doing something to earn a blessing. It's just not in Scripture. Because I do something like Abel did something, like Noah did something, like Abraham did something, like Moses did something... Acts of faith did not earn anything. Like Jesus said, when you've done what you're commanded, you can only say, we're unworthy. We haven't earned anything. We're unworthy. So Jesus gives the command at the end of his earthly ministry, you guys go and tell the world about me and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to do the things I've commanded you to do. Any merit in that? No. It's obeying the command. Mark 16, 15 and 16, go teach the world about me. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. Obey the command. Obedience never call. Uh, scripture never calls obedience a work of merit. Obedience is always expected, and salvation is always a gift. Salvation is a gift from God. We cannot earn it. But we can show our faithfulness and our faith in God by obeying Him. Shouldn't we? Filthy sinners, shouldn't we want to obey God who has given us a command? Um, So in Romans, Paul spends a lot of time Stressing we're saved by faith, not works. Amen, that's true. We're saved by faith. By our putting our trust in God in what God has told us to do. When we obey God, that is our faith answering God. Answering God's command. Last last thing, I'll say a couple more things and we'll move on. And If you've got any statements, we'll give you a minute to do that. But some teach today that baptism is an act of man, a work of man, and not connected to salvation. Uh, it's not what the scripture says. And so I would, we could go to several passages, but let's go to Colossians. If you look in your phones at Colossians chapter 2. and Don McGinty, who's listening to this, Don, turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter 2. And uh, let's read verse 11 through 13. Paul answers this very, very easily for us. Is baptism connected? Is it an act to earn anything? No, of course not. What could we do to earn salvation? Are you kidding? We can't do anything to earn salvation. Jesus said, when you've done what you've been commanded, just say, I'm an unworthy servant. I only did what was my duty. So this is very clear. Let's read Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. As you're reading with me, he talks about being circumcised without hands. It's not physical. It's a circumcision of Christ. So this is spiritual. This is spiritual, the circumcision of Christ. Watching verse 12. Having been buried... With him, with him by baptism. We know what with means, don't we? Having been buried with him by baptism. That's an act of faith, folks. No one that is baptized sees Jesus in the water with him. We are trusting God, we are trusting what the scripture says. Having been buried with him, it's spiritual. By baptism and raised with him. How? Next two words, through faith. So our baptism is an act of faith. It's not merit. It's an act of faith. Buried with him in baptism and raised with him through faith. Now get this. Faith in what? In the working of God. Faith that God's doing something. We have faith in God's working. Is baptism a work? Yes, it's God's work. Not man's. God's work in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Verse 13. You were dead in your sin and God made you alive together with him. God did this. I don't do it. The preacher doesn't do it. You don't do it. Paul says God does it. It's an act of faith. It's faith in what God is doing. You are made alive together with him, having your sins forgiven. By the blood of Jesus, having your sins forgiven. It's God's work all the way. Sinner's prayer, not in the Bible. No, it's not there. It became popular really in the early 1900s. About 18 centuries after this book was written, man came up with in the 18 and 1900s. Let's make it easy. It's an act of faith. Let's just pray a prayer. And so the sinner's prayer was substituted for baptism. You don't have to be baptized. That's something man does. Let's say this prayer. Not in the scripture. Why would we do something that's not in the scripture? No one in scripture came to Jesus and said the sinner's prayer. No one. They were all told to be baptized into Christ. Why? Because it's an act of faith. It's where we trust God. It's what Paul just said. We're buried with Him, baptized with Him, and raised, forgiven. Having faith in the working of God. Jesus didn't use the sinner's prayer. Paul didn't use it. Peter didn't use it. It's a contrivance of man. Now, am I going to judge someone that says it? Well, that's between them and God. I don't have to judge it. I just know it's not in the Bible. I just know it's not in Scripture. And I just want to obey the Lord and do what He says. That's all I'm saying. Why don't we just obey the Lord and trust Him and do what He says? Galatians, last one, and then we'll, any questions or comments. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and 27. We are all children by faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of us as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ by faith. Galatians 3, 26, 27. It's an act of faith. Questions, comments, statements? I think it's interesting here at the beginning of verse 5, it says through Him, Yeshua, we are given grace. Not by Him, but through Him. Grace comes through Jesus. We're given grace through Jesus, Richard's saying. Absolutely. Absolutely it comes through Jesus. All spiritual blessings come through Jesus. I want to I want to mention I want to look at one more passage here. We're going to stop at verse 18. How do you like the way I covered 9 through 15 there? Just turn to page. Like I said, 2028 would be the end date and we just don't have that much time. So I, wanna, I want you to notice something here in this passage 16 and 17. We got three minutes. Oh, Romans 1, 16, 17. That's the central part of the book. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Here's what I want to here's what I want us to notice right here. The righteousness of God is revealed in The gospel. God is holy. How can God be righteous and let sinners come into heaven? He can't. So in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. He put His Son on the cross, right there, the middle symbol. No, the second symbol. He put His Son on the cross to pay for the sins of mankind. Only the blood of the Son of God could pay for all of our junk, all of our sin, all of our darkness. God can be righteous in allowing us into heaven by putting our sins on Jesus. And if we come to Jesus and let Him pay our sins, remember, we are baptized into His death, Romans 6 and buried with him by faith, Galatians 3. By coming to Jesus and letting his sacrifice pay for our sins, God remains righteous because the sin debt has been paid perfectly. So in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. It's God's work, God's doing, and God can let us into heaven because we are forgiven in Jesus, covered by His blood. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.